Hey, Leroy UMC family. Welcome back to another podcast. We're continuing our series about Methodism. Now, Methodism is a movement founded on the conviction that God can use anyone to accomplish incredible things. That's why Methodism from the very beginning was a lay movement driven by the ministry and faith of ordinary believers. And that's what Pentecost is all about. God choosing to use a group of ordinary fishermen and farmers to change the world. Let's send it over to Pastor Matthias. Well, friends, this morning is Pentecost Sunday. This is the Sunday when we, when we remember the day that God effectively launched and began the church by filling the church with God's Spirit, the day God showed up in person. Uh, and so this morning for Pentecost, we are also wrapping up the worship series that we have been going through, uh, preparing us for Pentecost. Uh, we've been calling our series Acts, the Method of Our Story. The idea is we've been looking at the history of the earliest church that we get glimpses of in the book of Acts. Uh, and we've been lining that up with the history of our own church tradition, uh, the Methodist movement. Uh, and so this morning for Pentecost, we are taking a look at the day of Pentecost in Scripture, at that moment that launched uh, this entire thing that we call church. Uh, and so, friends, our reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 21. Friends, listen now for the word of the Lord. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every people under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Fellow Jews and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. 
Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. And then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Friends, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Holy Spirit, we are all gathered together in one place in your name this morning, for we are all in need of your words of power, your words of grace, your words of fire to fill us. So, Spirit, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. A very strange thing happens when you put on a minister's white collar. In fact, several strange things happen. First, people start to address you by venerable titles like father, brother, or reverend. People start speaking to you in a very respectful tone of voice and watch their language around you as if cussing was a mortal sin. You're suddenly granted access to all kinds of restricted areas, especially in hospitals. If you walk with confidence and a collar in a hospital, nobody is asking questions about where you're going. People start treating you as the most senior person in the room. People give you the the place of honor at every dinner table. People tell you you have to be the first to go through the dinner line. You take on this strange aura of authority, assume an unusual importance, and gain a bizarre respectability. All of this from just putting on a little white collar and from a long-standing, centuries-old idea that the church is divinely divided between the sacred ordained and the ordinary laity, between holy ministers and regular believers. Especially here in the American church, in American Christianity, Think about all the the parishes and all the churches where all anyone can talk about is father so-and-so or pastor this and that. Think about all the mega churches out there where hundreds, even thousands of people gather together in sanctuaries that almost look like sports arenas in order to listen to the one beloved holy rock star preacher. Think about all the churches that have been destroyed when a scandal revealed that one holy person wasn't so holy. From chapels to parishes to megachurches, there are thousands of places where worship, where ministry, where church seems to center around that one special holy person and where that age-old dividing line between holy ministers ordinary believers seems sacrosanct, unbreakable. However, if you really dig into the history of our faith, the history of Christianity, and really delve into the scriptures, you might be surprised to find that that 
long-standing division between holier-than-thou clergy and regular pew-sitting worshipers, that division has not always been there. We actually got most of that division from the medieval church, the 11th, the 12th centuries. It wasn't nearly as pronounced before that. And it certainly wasn't there the day the church began. There were no priests at Pentecost, or reverends, or fathers, or monks, or white collars of any kind. Instead, the believers that we find gathered together at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 are, to be frank, a bunch of uneducated fishermen, garden-variety farmers, run-of-the-mill tax collectors, and very unremarkable, very ordinary believers with almost no skills whatsoever for ministry. They are not confident, charismatic leaders. They had never led a worship service before. Most of them, most of them couldn't even read the scriptures. And not only were they ordinary believers, they weren't even a small elite band of ordinary believers. That's one of the great misconceptions we sometimes have about Pentecost. Typically, when we imagine Pentecost, we imagine the 12, now 11, disciples gathered together in a really small room. Then the Holy Spirit descends and God fills those 11 specially chosen individuals with special powers and special authority. But here's a pop quiz for you. See how well you were paying attention to that scripture reading. Did anyone catch how many believers were gathered together or how many people the Holy Spirit filled with God's power? When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came the sound of a rushing wind. It filled the entire house. Divided tongues appeared among them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. And don't make the mistake of assuming that all in that passage refers to all the 11 disciples. Because just a few verses before this, the book of Acts had very intentionally introduced us, the readers, to all the believers in Jerusalem who all together numbered about 120 people and who were now all together in one place. Contrary to what we assume, Pentecost is not the story of how God showed up to ordain a special, exclusive band of 11 disciples who alone would do God's will. Pentecost is the story of how God showed up to transform 120 ordinary nobodies with almost no skills and no qualifications, and to transform them into the hands of Jesus Christ, and to send them out all together to preach, to teach, to heal, to 
to minister in the name of Jesus Christ. And it doesn't stop there. That's an idea that keeps going. If you pay attention all throughout the book of Acts and all the different stories that we get of the earliest church, Peter and Paul, James and John and the 11 disciples are not the only ones who work miracles. They aren't the only preachers, aren't the only missionaries, aren't the only leaders, aren't the only ones ministering to people. Far from it, the glimpse that Acts gives us of the earliest church is the glimpse of a dynamic, moving, changing body that all who believe the good news of Jesus Christ are somehow involved in. I mean, that's what the prophecy that Peter quotes from Joel to try and explain all of this, that's what the prophecy is all about. God had promised that one day I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. All your sons and daughters, all your young men, all your old men, even all your servants and slaves. You're meant to get this sense from Scripture that Pentecost is the day that God's Spirit was set loose on the earth, and that has implications for all of us because you never know who God is going to work through next. And few people in the history of our faith, few people have appreciated that idea more than the ordinary simple, unqualified nobodies called the Methodists. Now, over the past few Sundays, we've been talking a lot about the earliest Methodists, about the, the class meetings, the revivals, about John Wesley, and so on. But as we close the series out, maybe the most astounding thing to know about Methodism is that the earliest Methodists were people who brought thousands to Christ, who created thousands of free schools, free clinics, hospitals, publishing houses, and ministries that changed lives, who freed slaves and fought for abolition, who did truly miraculous things, and yet none of them were ordained. All the class leaders who cared about you and kept checking in to see how you were doing throughout the week. All the teachers who helped people wrestle with God's word. All the preachers who inspired people to change. All the leaders who founded those schools and those clinics, changed those communities. All Methodists were all Ordinary, simple believers. That's one of the most unique things about our church tradition. Methodism started as a lay movement, as a church led primarily by the unordained rather than by the priests. 
We didn't have formally ordained ministers for the first 50 years of our existence. And even after we started ordaining some, even then the pastors with the collars didn't run the church or lead all the different ministries. All the pastors really did was circulate from church to church, administering the sacraments and checking in. The real drivers, the real movers, the real leaders, the real ministers were responsible for all the unbelievable miracles and changes that happened were all of the ordinary believers from the pews. They didn't go to seminary. They didn't always have the right qualifications. They didn't even always have the confidence to act or to think that they could do very much at all. But in their own ways, great and small, they all stepped up and took a chance, found some way to serve, because the one thing that they did have was the Spirit of God. Methodism, our tradition, was founded on the absolute conviction that anyone can be a servant, a minister of God, because our God can work through anyone. That's something that's so central to our church tradition. That's even what our logo means. The, the Methodist cross and flame, or the, the Leroy UMC cross and flame, that flame represents the fire of the Holy Spirit that showed up at Pentecost, the day that the Holy Spirit founded this entire thing we call the church by turning regular believers into the hands and feet of Jesus Christ that could go out and minister to all of God's children. And for all the ways that things have changed over the years, over the centuries, the one thing that has not changed is that that spirit has not stopped moving. It's true. Different, different believers have different roles in the church, and there are some whose particular role is to give the sacraments, to oversee worship, to keep an eye on how things are going, and yes, sometimes they wear white collars. But the simple truth is, from the moment the Holy Spirit first showed up and the church began, there have never been ministers and believers. There have only ever been ministers. We are all called to preach in different ways and share the good news of Jesus Christ with someone who really needs to hear it. We are all called to serve and be Christ's hands to someone who really needs God's help. We are all called to heal the sick, to visit the lonely, to go into prisons, to build, to teach, to feed, to minister to every child of God who needs to see a spark of that Pentecost fire. And that is something we always strive to do here at Leroy UMC. 
It's something our church family can celebrate. This body of Christ has fed more school children and more seniors in this town than we have numbers for. We have built more habitat houses and more ramps and more roofs than we ever thought possible. We have paid bills to help people avoid eviction. We have told people who didn't know who they were that God loved them. We have helped youth who didn't know what to do next, how to grow up into new men and new women. Miracles have happened in this place and none of it has been about me, or Eric, or Mary Louise, or Brent, or Marvin, or Frederick, or anyone else who ever had a collar in this place. Leroy UMC isn't a church led by a minister. It is a church of ministers. The miracle of Pentecost and the great joy behind our Methodist tradition is that our God does not just work through a few privileged leaders, but the spirit of our God can move, equip, and work through anyone, and that includes you. You may not always feel like you're good enough to be God's servant. You may not always think you have the skills to be Christ's hands, aren't, aren't confident enough, aren't this, aren't that. But the miracle is it's not about what you can do. It's about all the incredible things that God can do through you if only you are willing to listen to that Holy Spirit that never stopped moving in this world. From Pentecost and the early church to John Wesley and the Methodists to Leroy UMC, the good news is that you are a minister of Jesus Christ. You are the hands, you are the body, and you cannot begin to imagine the story our God has in store for you. And thanks be to God for it. Amen. Friends, please pray with me. Holy God, once more we have gathered all together in one place on Pentecost. And once more, we pray that you would send us the gift of your Holy Spirit, that you might make us your ministers. Holy Spirit, may you descend every single day on each and every one of us to fill us again and again with passion, with purpose, with drive, with hope, with faith, to go out and do something real for you, to be used by you to change lives and communities in your name. God, help us to be open to your spirit and let us trust that no matter who we are or what we can do, you can make any of your children into your hands and can turn any gathering of believers into your body. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Again, we want to thank you so much for joining us today. I hope that you are blessed and that you are a blessing. Go in peace.